recording. Hello, listeners, wherever you are, and welcome to Fix This Flick, a podcast where two millennials whose online shopping is destroying retail stores deconstruct your favorite films and tell you how we'd make them better. I'm your host, Ali, and joining me this episode is an old friend and a new co-host. Welcome, Dan. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I'm glad that uh, the first episode you have me on, we're reviewing a movie from the 1940s, of all things. And a romance movie at that. <laughs> I figured, what better movie to do than this one? And just out of curiosity, Dan, what would you say are things that you tend to look for in a movie? When I watch a movie, play a game, experience music, anything like that, I just want to be immersed in whatever the creation is. I just want to be part I just want to be part of it. I want to be in there. I want to believe I want to believe it's real. I totally agree with you. Like immersion is important and it's more than just you know, being blown away by music and special effects and all that. It's about feeling like you're part of the story mm-hmm. that's happening to you almost. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. feel like the story is plausible. I'm kind of curious to know as well, what would you say are some movies that are favorites of yours that do immersion pretty well? Oh, there's lots. I really liked Inception. I felt incredibly, incredibly immersed into Inception. Every layer you go down in the dream states, I felt like I was there with them. Other movies, I tend to like Tarantino movies. I tend to like the worlds he creates. Even if they're like silly and fantastical sometimes, I still I still am completely immersed in them. Pulp yeah, Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, Kill there's, Bill. There's something about the dialogue in those movies where it just sucks you into the, yes. into the world. Yes, yeah. the dialogue is very believable in a sense. Unlike this movie, but we'll get into that <laughs> in a bit. Yeah. So the movie we'll be fixing this episode is... Casablanca. Play it, Sam. You must remember this. A kiss is just a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply. You really can't get away. Do it, hide me. Do something. You must help me. Stick my neck out for nobody. Wise foreign policy. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. On that you. Why did you come back to tell me why you ran out on me at the railway station? Yes. You can tell me now. I'm reasonably sober. Brains as time goes. There is a man arrived in Casablanca on his way to America. He will offer a fortune to anyone who'll furnish him with an exit visa. Well, what's his name? Victor Laszlo. It's perhaps a strange circumstance. We both should be in love with the same woman. A case of do or die. The world will always welcome lovers as time goes by. He's looking at you, kid. Set in Nazi-occupied French Morocco in the middle of World War II, Casablanca stars Humphrey Bogart as Rick Blaine, a cynical and bitter American club owner who doesn't pick sides in the war and doesn't stick his neck out for anyone. But when Ilsa, an old flame of Rick, shows up to his club one day asking for help against the Nazis, Rick is faced with a gut-wrenching dilemma. Does he remain neutral, or does he come to the rescue of the woman who broke his heart? And Casablanca, it's fair to say, is one of those films that's ingrained in pop culture. I mean, ever since it came out in 1942, it was an instant hit, winning three Oscars, including Best Picture, and has since been elevated into movie classic status and been copied, parodied, and homaged endlessly, even in 
Bugs Bunny cartoons you were telling me. Yeah. If you listen to Bugs Bunny or watch Bugs Bunny, I should say, you'll hear quotes and personas from this movie all over the place. Almost in a way, actually, Bugs Bunny is sort of an impersonation of Bogart mm-hmm, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And other characters in the movie, for sure. Yeah. So Bogart is one of the most famous and iconic actors and his character in this movie is as well. Uh, he has some of uh, the most famous movie lines of all time here. You know, here's looking at you, kid, of all the gin joints in all the towns and all the world. She walks into mine. We've all probably heard that somewhere at some place. Mm-hmm. Casablanca also regularly ranks high on lists of the greatest movies of all time and is considered by many to be the best romance movie ever made. And it currently stands at number 50 on the IMDb Top 250 list. But is... You kind of answered there, but... (laughs) With that, wow. But is the movie as good as all the adoration and hype makes it out to be? Dan, you saw this movie for the very first time for this podcast. What would you say? Oh, I don't know. I, as a person here in 2020 can't help but think that this doesn't belong on the top 250. But at the same time, I guess I have to be fair and recognize that it was made in the 40s, right in the middle of the war. So I guess the context of it, maybe it's impressive. Maybe it's made for a certain audience. Well, you have to factor in its influence too on movies that came after it. Certainly. This was the second time for me watching Casablanca. The first time I was very unimpressed. I guess because I was going in knowing its reputation. and It's really one of those cases where reputation really preceded the movie. Hmm. And so I was underwhelmed for reasons that we're going to get into in a second. Mm-hmm. The weird thing about Casablanca is I think it's a movie that everyone's heard of. It's got this iconic status in people's minds, whether people have seen it or not. And probably most people nowadays haven't. Exactly. Yeah. But they know its reputation. And I think there's a little aspect, especially for people who do like this movie from our generation, where because it has a reputation, they feel like they should like it or something. Maybe. Maybe. I feel like that's a common thing anyway. It's kind of like a thing with like novels where, oh, you're supposed to love Great Expectations or Mm -hmm. something else by Charles Dickens or Moby Dick, which is I tried reading that once. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is a tough one. Yeah. Casablanca falls into that category for me. So we'll talk about what worked for us in Casablanca, what didn't, and see if we can come up with ideas about what would redeem the movie or at the very least make it better. And at the end, we'll pass our final judgment on whether the movie is fixable or damaged beyond repair. And before we get started, spoiler alert from here on out. So the kind of interesting thing about Casablanca was that it was a World War II movie that was made in the middle of World War II. It was literally filmed in May 1942 and then released November 26th, I think, 1942. It was literally filmed and released as pretty much every country in the world was part of the war effort, including the United States. Who joined it was after in, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, They joined in 41, late 41. So yeah, this was this is in the war effort. Men are going off to war. Women are joining the factories. That's pretty crazy. And the thing is, I, I didn't really notice this the first time I watched the movie, but it really is kind of like a propaganda movie as well as this like love story, isn't it? There does seem to be this element of the enemies, they're bad, mixed with this like fantasy of a far off land. It's yeah. a weird story. It's weird that it's set in Morocco. It's almost kind of random. Humphrey Bogart plays Rick. He's this club owner. He's kind of a dick. He's kind of cynical. He's not really friendly with everyone in the bar. He just wants club. to run his bar and stick out for himself. Yeah. And Sam, it seems. 
yeah, the only person who he really seems to care about is Sam, who's the pianist at the bar. Mm-hmm. They go, they know each other from way back, from Paris. It seems like they've known each other for a long time. Yeah. And Sam is his resident musician at the bar and a good musician. And so Casablanca is in French part of Morocco. And for those of you who don't know much about World War II, France was invaded by Germany in the early part of World War II. And the parts of France that weren't directly occupied became a puppet regime under the control of the Nazis. And so French Morocco at this time was run by the Nazis, but it was also... It seems to be right around the time where the Nazis are really taking hold of it. So the French are still in charge, but they're really just taking orders from the yeah it's a puppet france in charge of morocco who themselves are run by the nazis exactly and so there's a lot of people refugees who are trying to escape europe to escape the nazis and just because of the nature of the war the best way to get to portugal which is where a ship leaves for america which is of course land of freedom and all that other propaganda bullshit Mm -hmm. uh, is to take a plane from Casablanca to Lisbon. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of this movie is built around people wanting to leave Casablanca to Lisbon. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard to do so. It's hard to do so. And so a lot of people spend a lot of money and there's there's a kind of like a black market. Mm-hmm. It was almost like human trafficking, but classier than that. I don't know. And, and willing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people and consensual. Want to... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of this happens in Rick's bar. It's a very popular hang where everybody seems to go to the people who are trying to illicitly book passage to lisbon and there's mm-hmm. french soldiers there's nazi soldiers everybody there's just everyone out. there's yeah. everyone it's yeah. rick's cafe american one of the things i did like about this movie was that it really did give me a feeling for the bar and just being there and what life was like for those people at the time but well when i talk about how i like immersion in movies the one good thing this movie did is the bar yeah in terms of immersion the bar itself does have a feel to it it's got it's got sam the piano player you can tell that rick's running the show and people know rick and people are looking up to rick and trying to do dealings with other people and yeah so the bar feels alive and everything else in casablanca <laughs> it really feels like they could have been anywhere right it really it didn't need to be in casablanca no there was i think in the beginning of the movie there's this one establishing shot where the camera goes from like the big overview of the city and then goes down into the streets and you you see the street life for like 10 seconds and uh, the very start of the movie is a, a world map and then it zooms in to casablanca yeah. and you sort of see the streets and then it's just in the bar for the rest of the movie pretty much it's kind of disappointing in a way it barely establishes casablanca as a much of a place beyond this bar which maybe is the point of the movie a little bit because there's a quote early on in the movie that everyone goes to rick's so I can't help but wonder if that's a part of the movie or if it's a bit of a crutch that the movie is using. Yeah. Actually, when I was looking stuff up about this movie, I found out it was originally a play, which if you look at it, totally makes yeah, sense totally because makes sense. the setting was probably just Rick's bar for most of the easy, play, right? Easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're looking for like a big immersive experience of uh, foreign settings and lands and all that, you don't, you don't really get it with Casablanca. This idea of this far off land, Casablanca, how many movies take place in Casablanca? I can't think of a single one besides this one. Just Casablanca? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was excited to see some Casablanca. I was excited to see like some life there, but no, it's just a bar. Yeah. But, I mean, for all the faults of a lot of the older Bond movies, the ones with Sean Connery and Roger Moore, I think the thing they do good is giving you a sense of the exotic locations that they're set in. Mm -hmm. And I think just as like an early fix to mention right away is it would have been nice if they put more effort into making us feel like we were in Morocco. Yes. And furthermore, 
it would have been nice if it made us feel like we are in Nazi-occupied Morocco. Exactly, yeah. Because I really wish, and this is a fix for the movie, I really wish that this movie showed the streets of Morocco, life there under the incoming Nazi regime with Nazis you know hassling people and doing conducting searches especially unfair ones oppressing people oppressing people i would have loved to see that oppression on the streets you don't really see it it doesn't really feel like it no that's kind of the interesting thing about this even though it is kind of a propaganda movie if you look at it the germans aren't treated too badly the officers are just you know very dignified and polite and all that and you don't really see them do any villainous things not really and i think the movie could have used that yeah i totally agree yeah. It definitely could have used the, them as the villains more. And there was just a couple of things I wanted to ask you that didn't make sense to me about this movie. So all of these people are trying to get visas or like ways to get on this plane to get transit to Lisbon. Transit papers, yeah. Yeah, transit papers. And they're doing it in Rick's Cafe. And Rick's Cafe is just filled with Nazis and, yes. and French. Why, why are they meeting there? Like, it just can you explain that to me? So this is where I wonder if Rick's Cafe is, like, it's, it's the place the movie takes place, but is it used as a crutch a bit too much? I guess the answer to that is maybe it's fair to say that people would be doing their dealings in this very popular sort of saloon environment. Of course, there's going to be sort of salacious characters, nefarious characters doing clandestine activities in this bar. Yet... Great point. There's Nazis <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> and there's there's parts where they're trying to whisper or speak in code or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you just meet somewhere else, any other bar that isn't as popular? This is a great yeah, point because sometimes no people would be sitting at the bar with their backs to the whole room and they'd be like whispering to each other about some plan like... Like, meet me at six. It looks so suspicious. It's so suspicious. <laughs> and anyone could be behind them listening. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I guess a fix here as well would be maybe not set the whole movie <laughs> in this one place. It could be a prime place. It could be frequented. Yeah. But it should probably have some other places. I, I guess that was just not doable at the time. It would have helped if, the movie. If you think about it, it was it was set in World War II, so maybe they couldn't go to those places, literally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm willing to forgive it on that, maybe. You could probably get away with a California beach as a Morocco beach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today, what would they do? They'd probably just use a lot of green screens and CGI and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. So this is going on, and Rick doesn't participate in any of this. Like, so he's just interested in making his money and having a successful business and... Whatever happens, happens. He keeps his hands clean. If we're making World War II analogies, he's Switzerland. Yeah, he's yeah, he's Switzerland. He does sometimes do the odd little nice n- gesture, nudge yeah. in certain directions, but he's pretty neutral. Yeah, he makes it clear that he is. Early on in the movie, one of these salacious, unsavory characters gives him these transit papers that can take you anywhere in German-occupied Europe, and he. He asks Rick, can you take these for safekeeping? And when the guy is caught, he just watches him die. Mm -hmm. Or watches him get apprehended where he presumably dies. So he has these transit papers and they're very valuable, which sets the stage for what happens next. This is a romance movie. And the reason Rick is so cynical and bitter and mean and all that, he never drinks with his customers and all that, is because he got his heart broken. He got his heart broken. Yeah. And uh, is this the point in the movie where it does the flashback to Paris? I think the flashback comes <laughs> a bit later, but we are introduced to, oh, to this Ilsa. Is, sorry, this is yeah. when she comes into the bar. Neither her nor Rick expected to see, expected each, other. To see each other in yeah. this random bar in Morocco. Hence the, the famous line of all the gin joints, blah, 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 blah. 
This movie has a lot of iconic quotes, many of which I've heard, and I think most people have probably heard. I didn't know that round up the usual suspects was from this, like that oh. expression, the usual suspects is from this movie. I wonder if the usual suspects got. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Another one, um, play it again, Sam. Yeah, that's a famous one. Is not used <laughs> in this never movie. Even said, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Play it, Sam, and I think play it, please, Sam, are used. But Play It Again, Sam, is a movie by Woody Allen. Which yeah. is an homage. Which is an homage movie, and yeah. a parody of this? Yeah, there's a Humphrey Bogart kind of character who helps Woody Allen as he stumbles through his relationships or whatever. Right. So also yeah. haven't seen that movie, but the name of that movie is a misquote of a line in this movie. Yeah. I think on purpose. So Ilsa, the reason she's there is because she's with this very renowned freedom fighter from the from Czechoslovakia, mm-hmm. uh, Victor Laszlo. And he's part of an underground resistance. Yeah. And he's arrived in Casablanca so he can secure safe passage to Lisbon so he can escape to America and mm-hmm. help the war effort from there. And the Nazis know he's there. The French police who work for the Nazis know he's there. And so they're trying to stop him from leaving. Ilsa wants to get those papers that uh, Rick has so that she can leave with what turns out to be her husband, which was something that Rick didn't know when they were having their little yes. affair in Paris. Back in Paris where Rick and Ilsa fell in love and they were supposed to get on a train together to leave i'm not sure where they were going but they were escaping paris they were escaping paris because the nazis were supposed to be there the next day yeah she lies to him says i have some business to do around town i'll meet you at the train as we're leaving instead uh he gets a letter from her saying that i can't come with you and he's heartbroken that's explanation for why he is the way he is he did support all of these you know underdog causes like he fought for the republican side in the spanish civil war and he that is against fascists against yes. the fascists and he helped run guns for ethiopians against italy and so that is against other fascists yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but at this point he's kind of like a broken man i guess it seems to be really weighing on his soul this is where i would say is one of the main problems i had with the movie oh do you have a problem with this part <laughs> <laughs> Well, like the thing is, this is a romance movie. And I I would say then that clearly the most important thing would be to really feel immersed Mm -hmm. in the romance. Yeah, where's that? I kind of see what they were doing. They wanted to have the the romance be something that happened before that kind of just leans heavily on events of the movie. But all we get is this flashback, kind of like a cringy montage of them (laughs) laughing and driving through Paris. And then what's the line she says too? We all we get is this snapshot of their romance in Paris. We don't feel immersed. We don't know why they fell in love. We don't really understand their relationship. I think they even admit it. They say like, we barely know each other a couple of times. Yeah, they admit it. Okay, I found the line. So this is about right before the Germans take over paris and they kiss and there's this rumble of artillery fire or something and ilsa says was that cannon fire or is it my heart pounding and <laughs> I oh my god i oh laughed i would say that's the worst line in the whole it's movie that was super cheesy very very cheesy so that's what this montage really was just like a bunch of cheesy moments that's all you really get the rest of the rest of their romance is just implied really. yeah and that might be a problem for the movie right i mean i'll throw it a bone and say i can I can understand the idea of their past romance being so important but it's weird the audience doesn't really feel it a very critical reason why the audience doesn't feel it is because humphrey bogart is for all his reputation as this big hollywood icon is i would say a terrible actor 
I, I don't know how else to say it. He's just awful. He's he's he, bland. He's very bland. He's very wooden. He doesn't. It isn't even necessarily that he doesn't show emotion, which maybe he's just a guy who doesn't show emotion. But he doesn't give anything to any of his lines. Like it's just a guy standing there, and he does play the too cool for school kind he, of he's persona very, well. Very too cool for school. And I think both the character, perhaps, and the actor Humphrey Bogart. I think this, this reputation precedes them. So he probably just coasted his whole career with just, just his reputation. He can just coast. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he would, by the way, it's worth mentioning that he was probably among one of the first ever Hollywood sets of A-listers. Yeah. He was huge. Yeah, he was. He, he was definitely in that first class of stars after like the silent era. Yeah. Yes. And I honestly don't see what was so special about him. Like, do you get it? I don't get it. Yeah. He's too cool for school. I was trying to compare him with modern actors. Like, maybe... Who is he like? I don't know. Maybe a, a less interesting Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I can kind of see that. Maybe George Clooney, but George Clooney acts. Yeah, he, he George Clooney's a great actor. The funny thing about you mentioning Harrison Ford is that Humphrey Bogart did a movie. I've only seen two or three Humphrey Bogart movies, and he's exactly the same in all of them. Oh, yeah. Okay. He did this movie called Sabrina that was also a romance movie. In a remake that was done in the 90s, the Humphrey Bogart character was played by Harrison Ford. So clearly they did ah. see some similarities. <laughs> you aren't the only one who's seen the similarities. Yeah. Okay, so as for the romance being this sort of flashback, almost this distant thing, I think it's also worth noting who this movie was probably marketed to. Mm -hmm. And I assume this movie was probably... It's made in 1942. So most of the men are going off to Europe. Yeah. And most of the ladies are in the factories. And what do they have for entertainment? They have a, maybe a movie to go to. So this far-off romance is almost analogous to their husbands off in the war. And I feel like this movie may have really connected to war wives if you really look at it it really is just this soap opera movie mm -hmm. it has soap opera level acting and <laughs> soap opera type plots organized like a stage play like a lot of soap, yeah. soap operas essentially are that's fine it's just it's strange to me that the romance or just the, the love connection or the chemistry whatever you want to call it is so non-existent and i think just easy fix is recast <laughs> get rid of humphrey <laughs> bogart for all his status and all that and imagine if you had like a marlon brando in that role someone dynamic because if you think about it this is the most tumultuous emotional time in this character's life so ilsa in his, world <laughs> yes so th this woman comes in that he loved so much and broke his heart and then she's asking him to help her escape with her husband yes and you you don't get anything from him. like the most I was telling you this before we were recording that the most emotion you get from him is when he's drunk mm -hmm. and he's a little bit more intense mm -hmm. a little bit more intense than usual when he's talking to Ilsa when she comes to see him it maybe would have been nice if that was more common for the character yeah exactly <laughs> more animated the thing was they wanted him to be too cool for school yeah. but he was too cool through the whole thing even though he's he was too, going through this insane experience he's too cool to even be much of a character to pay attention to and he's the he's the main character exactly you had an idea as well about yeah. what to do with a flashback well i think instead of just a flashback maybe one of the early acts of the movie should have been their romance in paris so the movie starts with them meeting each other and they have this whirlwind romance and you, you just have like a couple of scenes where you just see the little things that they really yeah. liked about each other. That would have been nice as a viewer because then you explore a bit of Paris as the war is just about to hit. True. Get a sense of immersion of, of that. Yeah. yeah. Immersion and urgency and tension. 
it would have been interesting to see how they they first met like what why they clicked and what it they saw in each other it would have been so nice the flashback didn't even have that they, it, it, they were already in in the throes of love they're basically the in a started. hotel room <laughs> just saying cheesy lines to each other <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and one of those cheesy lines is that you that kind of bugged you was here uh, here's to you kid here's to you kid that's a famous line from this yeah. movie that i think they maybe could have got away with that one time but he says it and over it, and over and over again. Even that one time, it was weird. <laughs> yeah. But he says it several times, three or four. <laughs> and it, it doesn't get any better each time he says no, it. No, it, it doesn't. Seemed, it comes across as weird. It it's, doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a weird line. Here's to you, kid. I don't get it. Especially because there's clearly an age gap between them. There I don't it know. certainly <laughs> is. It just is a weird line. Yeah. It isn't said well. It isn't, no. It doesn't. I don't know. Well, it's just because there's there's absolutely I would say no chemistry between them. I think the <laughs> I think the actress the actress uh, who's a very famous Hollywood actress Ingrid Bergman she was way better than him. Like she was very expressive and emotive. She had terrible dialogue to work with for the most yeah, part. And I she, was gonna say what she didn't she? have much to do. I think she did a lot with the little that they gave her to do. She's. Fair. She was basically there to be pretty. Yeah. The movie's telling me that she's incredibly beautiful. Okay. I think it's almost telling us that because that is the explanation of why she's so magnetic or something. Why he just has this crazy reaction for her. Yeah, I guess. But she, she's not presented in an incredibly magnetic way is my problem. I'm not saying she's not pretty, but she's not presented in this incredible way, in no. my opinion. In the pantheon of memorable or the greatest female characters of all time, she isn't even worth she a mention. There's nothing really special or interesting about her character. It's just, I guess, the circumstance is difficult. When, when we were talking about what movie to do and just discussing Casablanca the other day, I was comparing it to, if you remember, Silver Linings Playbook. It has Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, and they both have a lot of issues that they're dealing with, and they kind of get thrown together, and you really get a sense of the dynamics and complexities of the relationship and why they did fall in love with each other. For this movie that's considered the greatest romance movie of all time to just... It's almost like it's just coasting on its reputation with this fucking tepid romance. <laughs> and I'm probably this A-list actor. Yeah. Beyond recasting... Bogart and having that introduction do you have any other ideas that might work I can only reiterate that the movie should be restructured go through like one two three like beginning middle end what would it be then whether the movie the very first scene takes place in Casablanca or not the first act of the movie should probably take place in Paris the second act can take place in Casablanca perhaps before she arrives and then the third act can be the what? same third act okay pretty what, much. what ends up happening yeah my basically the only change I would make is the first act holy shit, this is going to be like a three, four hour movie at this point. But if you really think about it, Casablanca is about an hour, 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Not much happens. Like no. it's a very basic plot and it really drags. Like I there's think, no suspense. There's no tension. I think it, not a lot happens. And my idea could probably be pulled off in the same time. And <laughs> you could just cut a lot of that nothing out and add a first act in Paris. <laughs> I really liked it because then the, the first act would end and then there, there would be like, you know, like a five months later or yeah. a year later. I thought you made a very interesting comparison uh, before we started recording that this movie felt like like Inglorious Bastards in some way. <laughs> can, you, can you explain that again? This movie made me, and when I was watching it, I said this. This movie reminds me of the basement bar scene in Inglorious Bastards, that famous scene, which is tense and has great dialogue. So this movie reminded me of that, except 
the dialogue isn't as interesting, it's not nearly as tense, and it drags on for the entire movie. That one scene feels like the entire movie. Like, I'm trying to remember that basement scene. So there's Nazis, there's the good guys, and... There's undercover agents, there's the bastards, there's there's everyone in there, kind of like this bar in Casablanca. There's everything going on. They're all kind of in and among each other. Clashing. They have ulterior motives yes. almost. So yeah. it kind of reminds me of that scene, except dragged out into an entire movie and not as interesting. What ends up happening is the movie really hinges on this dilemma that Rick has. Does he give Ilsa and her husband these letters of transit so they can escape, basically? Mm-hmm. And he's torn on whether he should do it or not. My problem watching it this time was it's never in doubt that he's going to do it because the movie really stacks the deck in setting him up as this really good guy. So um, the French head of police, who's kind of a mirror, kind of parallel character to him. because he's, captain. He keeps on saying, oh, no, I think you're secretly a rank sentimentalist. And he keeps on saying that you're a he sentimentalist. And people keep on bringing up his track record of fighting against the, the fascists. So it really plants this idea in your head beforehand that, well, he's a, he's a good guy. Did you ever feel in doubt that he would end up just helping them out. No, I felt like the stakes were incredibly low. Yeah, there were there were no stakes. The the outcome was obvious, right? Yeah. I did, there is a little something that happens at the end that I didn't really expect. So there's a twist, basically. A little. Just right at the end, at the airport. Yeah. Yeah. One of the very few scenes in the movie that isn't at the bar, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, before they get to the, re- the, the okay, airport. Okay, okay. So for context, she's El- Ilsa's really pushing to get these papers of transit and she sneaks into his bedroom rick's bedroom rick's bedroom and essentially tries to sort of seduce him about the past their romance and what a good freedom fighter her husband is and please you have to do this surely you can't always just be neutral about every damn thing and it's not really working on him he even says you like bringing up france is probably a bad strategy yeah it's like poor salesmanship poor salesmanship is what he says yeah and then she pulls a gun on him and says, you will give me those papers. Yeah. And he says, uh, shoot me. It would be doing me a favor. <laughs> is that when a bit of a seduction sort of happens? I think what happens is they slept with each other. But because this is an old movie, they, they you never see them taking their clothes it's, off. Or it's anything. really unclear yeah. if that happened or not. But I guess it's implied. It's implied. Yeah. Okay. So I think they just get overwhelmed with emotion. And she they relive. Uh, Paris. I, I always loved you. And yeah, they relive. At least we'll Paris. always have Paris. That, yeah. that even gets said. That's a yeah, famous line. That's a famous line, too. Yeah. At least we'll always have Paris. So after they spend this night together, uh, Ilsa just basically tells him, I can't decide anymore. You have to do the thinking for us. So the plan that Rick comes up with is he's going to take Ilsa with those letters of transit and they're going to go to America and they're going to leave Victor behind to the French police. And he, so he tells the, the French police, the head of French police that. Give you this freedom fighter. We'll leave. You'll let us leave. You get the hero. You'll yeah. look good to the Nazis. Yeah. And at the moment when the head of police thinks that he's nabbed them, Rick pulls a gun on him, and it turns out that he was making it all up. He ushers Ilsa and Victor off into the plane, explains to her that, no, you will regret going with me. Go with your husband. And they end up leaving together. And uh, Rick also kills another... He kills the head of the Nazis in Casablanca. And in a pivotal moment, 
the head of the French police covers for him. So both of them were kind of on the fence, but at the, by the end of the movie, they're both on the side of the good guys, the, mm-hmm. the allies. And the movie ends with another famous line. Yeah, Louis, I think this is going to be the start of a beautiful friendship. Is that yes. what it is? Yeah, this is going to be the start of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. A great Bugs Bunny line, too. <laughs> yeah. And then the movie just abruptly ends. Like, boom. Yeah, it just boom, ends that's there. it. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, old movies didn't fuck around with no, that. They just ended. Just boom, yeah. done. Yeah. Audience stands up and applause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Propaganda movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that a lot of things could have been done to create more of a sense of suspense and tension so yeah so we sure. have the structure that you suggested so you have the first act in paris the other two acts pretty much i think you could keep them the same maybe like you know trimming a lot of stuff and probably adding some more dystopian oppressive villainous push yeah to the i have a couple of ideas to run by you for what would have made for a more tense or suspenseful movie i think the key would be make us the viewers as part of our immersion to doubt rick is going to do the right thing definitely okay so if you remember sort of in the middle of the movie victor goes to this underground meeting with all the other people who are fighting against the nazis in casablanca yes and the meeting gets disrupted and Victor barely escapes, yes. but he ends up getting caught anyway by the Nazis. Yes. And he gets caught in Rick's bar. What I think would have been interesting is if Rick, when he's drunk and still upset with Ilsa, he, he goes to the French head of police and he gives away that this underground meeting is going to happen where a bunch of his employees are going to it. And so in this moment of passion and emotion, he betrays... Ilsa, he betrays this Victor guy, and he betrays his own employees. And I think it would have been interesting if maybe one of his employees would have died because of it. This is a shot. This is a great, maybe even Sam. Yes. If Sam got killed. That would be huge. Yes. That would make the movie. Because there would have been a price for what he did. Yes. Yeah. And this would put way more doubt into what the ending is going to be. Because you realize, oh my God, this guy, he did a terrible thing here. This is a great idea. Great fix. And the thing that I think works so nicely about it is, you wouldn't have to change much about the movie because no. it's already there. The guy gets caught and all that. This is an easy fix. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to just see him be shamed or or Ilsa getting mad at him for killing Sam because she was close to Sam as well. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's a great fix. Yeah. That's a great fix. I think it's a no-brainer. But I think the reason they didn't do something like that is because he's the all-American hero and you can't have... Mm-hmm. You, I think that's a problem in movies today when I think... I, oh, I always harp on the Star Wars movies in past episodes. But if you look at the main characters in the new Star Wars movies... They're flawless. They don't have any suspect acts. They don't do anything that was... I can't believe this movie is comparable to the new Star Wars movies. (laughs) It is, though. In a way, yeah, yeah. Too clean, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. You can have heroes and people who are role models, but they have to have flaws, and they have to have downfalls that they rise up from. Like Finn, the former stormtrooper in in the new Star Wars movies. I wish we saw him do some horrible things. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this. Like, it would have been interesting if he committed atrocities yes. as a stormtrooper. And then through that went, what am I doing? But no, the movie, the first movie he's in, The Force Awakens, makes it very clear uh, through some some bit of dialogue that this was the first time he ever yes. was in combat. Yes. So his record is clean. Yeah. And... Rick is the same. He doesn't really allow anything bad to happen. He actually helps this couple earlier on in the mm-hmm. movie win some gambling money because his club is also this like casino, which saved the wife from having to sleep with the, the head of the French police. He, he does a good deed. So it's never in doubt. It's never it's, in doubt. This is a great... He should have done something bad. Yes. He should something have. that cost someone's life. It would make sense for his character too. Yeah. 
He's a, he, he says he doesn't should, give a shit. He should be a flawed character who doesn't yeah. give a shit. I think they just didn't want to push it that far. And I think it would have been a much more interesting movie if they did. Ratified. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> and I think doing that fix would have really increased mm-hmm. the tension. Uh, yeah, and that's what the movie needed. A proper feeling of tension. There's yeah. a little bit of tension in the yeah. bar. The movie didn't need action, no. but it needed oppression. Well, I, I needed can... this villainous force. You can have insane tension from a movie that's just from a scene or movie that's just dialogue. Just look at Tarantino. This is my point about the Inglorious Bastards basement bar scene is tense as hell. But it's like basically they're playing a drinking game around a table. It just goes to show, I think, that movies like Casablanca, while they were influential and have iconic moments, we've clearly surpassed what they did in so many ways with just, you know, the filmmakers that have come in later years. And while there are old classic movies, I think still hold up. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia, for example, is one of my favorite movies. Wizard of Oz is way older. There you go. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And and they truly are timeless. Unfortunately, I don't think Casablanca... it's that I don't bill. Th- I don't think it's timeless. It is not a timeless It clearly movie. had influence. I should say that if we want to just mention a few positives before we wrap this up. Sure. I did think that there was some cringy dialogue in this movie, but there was some pretty clever stuff. I was going to say, to the character of Rick's credit for an overall probably too bland character, uh, to his credit, he is funny sometimes. He does pull off some funny lines, like the French police and the Nazis are investigating him and going through all his papers and trying to intimidate him. Mm -hmm. They've got all this information on him and he goes, oh, are my eyes really green? Like, like that's the thing that yeah. stands out. Like, it's a silly little. Yeah, uh, like when uh, he's just sitting at a at a coffee shop or something at one point. One of the few scenes that's not in his bar. He just casually mentions, "Oh, I'm just waiting here to give the the Nazis a chance to ransack my home, looking for the papers." <laughs> so there are things that work like that, and I really did like the actor who played the French head of police. I think his name was Renault. And- he was one of the better. Yeah, he was great. He was a good foil with Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I kind of liked their back and forth a little bit. I think early on in the movie, because Rick is kind of a mystery in this movie, and he says, I think you might have killed a man. Like, that's (laughs) his background. But but that's just because I'm a romantic. (laughs) So, yeah, they have a lot of witty back and forth. I think he's probably the best character, actually. I agree. I agree. He's great. He brings something to the movie. For sure. I have another positive. Oh, go ahead. End of the movie, the very end of the movie, the last scene there at the airport. I liked all the little twists going on. It felt real. There is actually some real tension when we're going to wonder if that French policeman covers for yeah, Rick. But I think Rick wasn't expecting no, the French guy to, no. to help him out there. That he was really was willing to just sacrifice himself. Actually a really good scene. I liked yeah. it. I, I like it. I like that he was selfless. I just wish that it wasn't so obvious. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, there were some positives that we discussed. So on to final judgment, would you say this movie is fixable, fine just as it is, or damaged beyond repair? I think we've brought up the perfect fix. I think this movie's fixable. I like your idea of having this first act in Paris. And then adding your fix of making him a truly flawed character yeah. who does something wrong. Does something wrong. Maybe maybe gets Sam killed. Something. That fits, something. That fits right into the movie. Those fixes make this movie fixable. That'd make a pretty cool movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy how, just in retrospect, a couple of things, I think it would have helped make it even timeless, dare I say. That might. So uh, I'm going to say this movie is fixable. It does have some of the problems that a lot of older movies do in terms of just their flow and pace. And older movies, they seem to focus on the wrong things in a way. (laughs) Do do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, it probably isn't a golden rule for all of those old movies. Because, for example, 
an old movie like The Wizard of Oz focuses on some really good things. It's not one of my favorite movies, but no, it's no, a no. good movie. But it really yeah. has some cool focuses that I think are timeless. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. It's that an interesting whole theme. motif of yeah. the whole movie is really well done, I think. Yeah. Uh, this one, I got to say, there isn't much to take from it. Like, what is there to take from it? Really? No, <laughs> yeah. no. This is, yeah. It can't be a timeless movie. Yeah. It's timeless in the sense that the quotes are unavoidable, but it's not timeless in the sense that it's a great movie. And as we always do before we sign off, we've got some recommendations for things we've been watching lately. <laughs> Dan, what's your recommendation? Right after I watched Casablanca, I watched another World War II era movie. I don't know why I watched this right after, but I just happened to watch Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill. Okay. Unrecognizable. You can't tell it's Gary Oldman unless you've seen the advertising or the credits. He does a really good job of being that chameleon that can just get into different characters. Darkest Hour, in a strange way, kind of reminds me a little bit of this movie because it is not so much into the action, it's into the dialogue between the characters. And one thing it does better is the tension. This movie takes place as the Nazis are sweeping Europe, kind of like in Casablanca, you know? But Darkest Hour has this incredible, uncomfortable tension, looming despair about to hit. Does a really good job of it on top of some really good acting. Some things that Casablanca could have improved upon. I do recommend that movie, especially in place of Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, if, if you listen to this review and you've never seen Casablanca, skip it and just watch The Darkest Hour. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Next. Is it Darkest Hour or The Darkest Hour? I think it's Darkest Hour. Okay. I haven't seen the movie, but I really do like Gary Oldman. He's, I think he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. He's really one of those actors who loses himself in his role, kind of like the anti-Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I cool. recommend it to you, actually, even though I know you really don't like Winston Churchill. This movie doesn't require you to like Winston Churchill. It doesn't glorify it him. It doesn't glorify okay, him. That's good to hear, yeah. It does show both his strengths and weaknesses. It's fair. And my recommendation this time is I'm not a big comic book superhero, you know, Marvel, DC, whatever universe person, but I did start watching Amazon Prime's The Boys, which is based on a graphic novel by Garth Ennis, who also made Preacher, which is one of the more famous graphic novels. It's not an amazing show, but I I enjoy it. The Boys. The Boys. I've yeah. heard it mentioned before. I haven't yeah. seen it. I think The Boys is a terrible name for the show <laughs> because I think it gives this idea of what the show is and it's not quite accurate. Basically, it's set in this alternate reality where there's actual superheroes in our world. There's a corporation that controls them and they've basically become like this, this big marketing, policing conglomerate the the main heroes are called the seven they're in movies they actually fight crime there's contracts where they they fight crime for cities is it immersive and believable yeah yeah i think they they do a good job of portraying this world the main leader of the seven his name is homelander and he's kind of like dressed like captain america and he is the most sadistic evil Mm -hmm. piece of shit ever oh good and that's where the interesting thing is with this show it's kind of a satire and critique of superheroes. I would describe it as like a worse Watchmen. Is it as beautiful as Watchmen? No. Watchmen isn't that well liked a movie. No, it's not. People often say to watch it on mute just and watch the beautiful, beautiful <laughs> visuals. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the boys, the dialogue is sometimes hit and miss and the plots are sometimes weak. I would say that the heroes are actually not very interesting. It's the villains that are and their sto- okay. stories. Okay. Uh, it explores very interesting territory about, you know, identity and, you know, your sense of responsibility in the world and what you would do 
if you were just a human being who just got all this unlimited power yeah, that's and how it could corrupt you in all of these ways. This kind of reminds me a little bit of X-Men a little bit. I could see that. It does kind of have an X-Men vibe. So what you really get with the boys is just this social satire of the issues that we're facing in our world and a critique of the media and America and how corporations kind of control us and how social media is involved in that as well. So for those things, I totally recommend it. Sounds like it's timely. Terrible name. Terrible name. The Boys. I Sounds didn't even, like a bro, like a bro club. I totally agree. I think the name might actually push away some people from watching it. I think it, it, it did does. for me. It, sound, it is yeah. for me until you're explaining yeah. it now. The funny thing is they're not all boys. One of them's a woman. It, I don't get it. It doesn't really connect with what the show is. Like once you see it, you're, you're, you're going to probably think the same thing as me. Why is it called The Boys? Okay. They probably so yeah, should have come up with a If I was to name. do a fix for that, <laughs> change, change the name. Yeah. Change the name, market it yeah. better. And that's our episode. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. This is Fix This Flick. I'm your host, Ali. And I'm your guest host, Dan. And we'll be back soon. <laughs> hey.